Welcome to an original series, the podcast celebrating our favorite TV shows behind the paywall. I'm Patch, one of your co-hosts, and with me celebrating the world of long-form storytelling and coloring outside the lines to make some incredible superhero art on a brick wall is my friend and my co-host, Aaron. Super Aaron. Thank you. Super Aaron. We'll go with Super Aaron. Would you have a cape? Would that be you if you had it? If you were the superhero, would you have a super cape? No, I don't think Sam has a cape either. Sam gets the cool mask drawn on his face. I think that that's a much better representation because, you know, I forget which movie it was, but you never want a cape. They get caught in things and kill you. I think it's like True. Super Pets. DC Super Pets maybe is the movie that makes fun of this. <laughs> There's a whole yeah. running gag about why superheroes shouldn't have capes. Go watch that. It's hilarious. That's true. Yeah. Well, we are right in the middle of season one. We're in episode five entitled Endure and Survive. This is a extension, I think, of the previous Please Hold to My Hand in, in that we are introduced to Kathleen, we're introduced to Perry, and we are now introduced to what you and I wanted to see in the last episode and what we finally got. So when we get there, we'll squeal like little girls and have some fun with that. But for now... We will just start at the top as we always do. We're in the streets after yet another non-cold open with the intro. I don't know that we're going to have a cold open throughout the rest of the season here, and I don't, I don't see it happening, and I know your disappointment just gets more and more vivid on screen here as I'm watching you. Frozen with disappointment, Patrick. Yeah, I don't think you're going to show up for episode nine if you haven't had a cold open up to that point, but right. <laughs> I'm optimistic. <laughs> I'm, I'm hopeful, like, like Ellie. I'm hopeful. So we're in the streets. There's a big crowd of people chanting freedom and F.U. Fedra. So this is a nice little contrast to the scene earlier in episode one where Fedra is chanting that for your own protection and without insurrection, you know, stay inside, that kind of thing. This was a maybe less artistic chant, but really just more of like, you know, this is how we feel. <laughs> freedom and F.U. Fedra. This is where we get kind of the backstory with Henry and Sam who are hiding. Henry's using sign language to talk to Sam. I want to talk about that for a minute. In the game, we meet Sam and Henry. Remind me again when we meet them. Do you know, is it in Pittsburgh? Is that when we meet them or is it later? No, it's a separate little side story kind of in between, but they're definitely not part of the Pittsburgh escape or the place we go later in the suburbs in this episode either. They're not there. Yeah. This, in my opinion, combines several settings really well. I think these iconic scenes in the game that I was really excited to see, they've adapted them really, really well. Starting with Pittsburgh turning to Kansas City, we do get introduced to a new character in Kathleen, but as we established last episode, we kind of like her. We like the fact that she's sort of giving us a little bit of an angle that we haven't seen before. But then we get introduced to Henry and Sam, who are companions of Joel and Ellie's, just like in the game for a short period of time, unfortunately. The other big difference here, Aaron, is that Sam is deaf. This was a an interesting decision to be made by the creator in the actual game. They're brothers. They talk. This was, um, I thought, really, really well done. Because to me, I got a lot of A Quiet Place vibes where the stri- strategy, I was going to say strategy. Why was I going to do that? The strategy is, especially like with clickers and things like that, it makes sense not to talk. But to give Sam that limitation, that disability as his character, 
I thought was really well done because I think it added to this relationship that he has with his brother in terms of paralleling the protection that Joel has for Ellie and really more at this point that Joel had for Sarah to block out all the the bad and to keep Sam from seeing it. But what was your take watching this for the first time and seeing that change from the video game? Honestly, it is one of the best changes for the series overall, the whole thing. I think it is such a natural and logical decision to make to insert a character that has some sort of disability and show us much like they're trying to do like what would it be like for someone in this situation and Sam was a great opportunity to do that and I think that they did it so tactfully and so respectfully in fact today the day we're recording this the Emmy nominations came out and Sam's actor actually got an Emmy nomination um, for oh, his okay. guest appearance. Yeah, pretty cool. He, I don't think he'd ever acted before. This is his first ever time on screen. And he does a phenomenal job um, in his limited screen time being exactly what we need him to be. And so I really, really loved it, Patrick. I thought it provided an additional layer of complication to what ultimately we learn is Henry's struggle and why he is being hunted so bad from Kathleen. What, what did he do and what yeah. the reasons for what he ended up doing? It's funny because it, it also shows us throughout this episode where, you know, it can also be a strength in a lot of ways because Henry knows sign language because he has to be able to speak to Sam. They can communicate in silence in a way that Ellie and Joel cannot completely accurately communicate to themselves in silence because they don't know sign language. So there's to be, there's a lot more inference for someone like even like you and I, we could guess what we we'd be doing crazy hand signals and like mouthing words to each other. And we would kind of have to hope that we picked up on the specifics. Sam and Henry have been able to survive. I think largely because they don't have to do that. They can operate in complete and utter quiet and be yeah. very detailed with their conversations. I just, I loved everything about it. Me too. And I echo all that stuff. I won't say any more other than the fact that it makes for more focused watching of the content and it creates quieter moments in the episode that I think are really, really beneficial. This is also a great way to show a little bit of backstory and kind of roll us, you know, roll the film back a little bit to get us to the place where we will eventually connect Sam and Henry with Joel and Ellie. So all this stuff is obviously happening about a week and a half before the big encounter that Joel and Ellie have with the insurrectionists. So it's cool. It's like you're seeing the other side of the curtain there, which I, I always like that technique. It happened in Lost at one point. I, I really like the way that that kind of storytelling works. It's really cool. In the Fedra detention, Kathleen and Perry are coming in to chat with the prisoners that they've arrested. And this kind of reinforces the way that she delivers her lines. It just reinforces that her terseness, her matter-of-factness, just very controlled in what she says. Uh, there's a line where she goes, Well, I'm not Fedra. Lucky for you. <laughs> no one here has to die. And it's just so nonchalant. Like, it's so questionable because of how normal this feels for her, how her delivery just feels like this is a Tuesday but she's controlling that anger that we eventually sort of see come out later on. And it's such a, a great way to show off how she's able to already, I don't know how long she's been in charge, but how she's able to really control the situation because she's 
the only one talking besides the prisoners. Everybody else behind her, of course, they're being held at gunpoint. But it's really great to see how her authority sort of asserts itself in this situation. And so as she's giving that talk at one point, she's trying to get information. And she says, your informers, inform, where is Henry? And that's when we find out that he's with Edelstein, the doctor from the previous episode that we meet. The other thing I want to point out is her obsession with Henry. At this point, we don't know why, but it's really cool to see and wonder why in the world is she after this guy? Like, why is she pointing every ounce of accusation at him? That bird died. It's Henry's fault. You know, the, <laughs> the, the building has burned. It's Henry's fault. Um, I just think that at this point, it sets us up for wanting to hate her because we start loving Henry and Sam, but that's not completely the case by the time we get to the end of the episode. Yeah, this was really interesting to watch and listen to her language. So the people that she has as captives are what we see later called the collaborators. They are the people who ratted out their friends and family, which Kathleen refers to several times over these last two episodes, to Fedra in order to get a tomato or fucking apples to get some food and to get safety and comfort from Fedra and to not be rounded up and put into jail. And that's what that opening scene of this whole episode is showing us is the time period in which they are overthrowing Fedra. And it's dark. Like there is some really awful behavior going on. Like it's not just fighting back against Fedra. It is gleefully hanging people and beating them to a pulp. It was, it made yeah. me see Kathleen in a different light. The kind of people that have led this rebel uprising and one thing that's interesting, too, is when she's talking to them, the guy that ends up giving her the information, he says, I told you everything. And she goes, of course you have. You're a rat. And I was like, whoa. But the thing is, the irony in that is that she's using them for the same purpose that she is criticizing him for. It's interesting that she would do that. And then she also is lying to them because she turns to Perry at the end of his episode and she's like, when you're done, burn the bodies. It's faster. Like, she is without remorse when it comes to this and ruthless. And I just, I saw her in a lot different light. And it's it's an illustration that we see so often in this whole series of how do people react? What do people do when they're fighting for their own version of humanity and their own version of what they want their existence to look like in this new world. Some people do it quietly. Some people have to rat other people out. Some people turn completely brutal in the way that Kathleen has, but everybody kind of responds a little bit differently to it. And there's all different types. And so she's just one of those types you got to deal with. It's a really eye-opening opening. opening. <laughs> yeah. And I think it just sets up this idea that even if she gets what she wants, this is not going to change her. It's not like she's on a redemption tour. She's on a revenge tour that's just going to make her worse. And we know that from past stories from, from other movies and TV shows that we're watching her implode to get what she wants. And we know that there's probably, unless there's a whole series based on Kathleen, she's probably not going to have much of a redemptive arc at this point. Anyway, we are in Edelstein's place, and it's that attic that Joel and Ellie find uh, abandoned at that point. Henry sets up camp 
and estimates that they have about 11 days to figure out how to get out of the city because that's how much food they have. And of course, he's talking to Edelstein really quietly, but I love the sign language from him to Sam because Sam is like, what's going on? Of course, he can't hear anything. He just sees Henry reacting to Edelstein. And this is where Sam is trying to assure him that you know things are going to be okay. And it's such a re- just a great distraction. He pulls out that big, giant bag of crayons. And he said, we got to liven up the place. It looks drab. It serves two purposes. One, it's a distraction for Sam. But it also really does provide a bit of life for that place. Like, everything is brown and gray and black and just messed up. And it's so cool to see these, like, artifacts of livability. And we see that a little bit later. But it's really neat to see how over the course of 10 or 11 days, Sam has basically inspired his world a little bit by putting all these superheroes on the wall. And it sort of just reflects who he is as a person, not just what he likes, like superheroes, but that there's a there's a world of optimism in his heart that he sees. And I think it's because of the fact, in part, that he's not hearing everything. Like I imagine Henry protects his eyes and doesn't let him see everything. And so He can only imagine the things that are going on, but I think that's really cool because I think metaphorically it represents this kind of purity that we need to see with him as a character. And I think it's expounded upon by all these drawings on the wall. Yeah, I I like that too. I like that Edelstein says he's scared because you're scared and Henry kind of has to wrestle with that. I guess as a parent, that's, that's just something that resonated with me because there's definitely been moments, maybe not even necessarily related to fear, but other emotions in my life where I've had to understand that I am directly impacting how my child is reacting to a situation. Um, And that was such a great way to diffuse it by saying, you know, let's decorate the place. And one of these things that this whole series is just fantastic about with all of its details, like we've already seen the decorated attic when Kathleen and Perry discover it in the present So now we're in the past, and so we get to see why did it end up looking like that? Why were there cans all over the floor? Well, this is how they got there and what they did. I just thought a lot about how this is such a dilemma that they find themselves in, man. Like, you're either going to starve to death or you risk being captured, killed, or torn apart by infected. There's really nothing positive here. It's almost all completely dangerous and it was heartbreaking for me watching Sam be like, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. And I was trying to imagine what that would be like to truly be starving. I've never even come remotely close to having that feeling. But to feel that way as a child or to be a parent or a caregiver and not be able to provide that basic sustenance need to someone that is younger that can't fully understand what is happening is awful God's got a I mean not only are you starving but like you've got that emotional pain as well and I think it's compounded by the fact that he knows that Edelstein isn't coming back so Edelstein left a week and a half ago they've been just isolated waiting for guns or a way out the conversation before that little quick duration 10 days later Edelstein mentions these tunnels that come up later and I think that gives Henry a little bit of um, a strategy to okay here's what we need to do He's peeking out at this point, seeing all the ruckus going on. I think that one of the other things that I picked up on here was it was a reminder that I had forgotten that Henry and Sam were brothers, and I didn't realize that they were brothers until they said it in both the game 
and the TV show. Because as, as you mentioned, this caregiver mentality, it does look like a father-son relationship. I mean, I can believe they're both brothers, but I can also believe that Henry is a father figure to Sam. And I think that's by design. It's not a brotherly relationship necessarily defined that way. It's a relationship between two people who are related to each other, who have lived their lives together. Does it make it stronger that they're brothers? Maybe. I don't know. But when I found out that they were brothers, it didn't take away from the impactful relationship that I was seeing, not only in the game, but also here on screen. So the next day, um, Henry tells Sam that Elsine isn't coming back and that they need to, to get out of there. I do like that he's honest. And when Sam is asking him uh, if he was killed, and he said, probably, yes. Like, he's not mincing any words. And to help Sam cope with the stuff going on, you alluded to this, he basically gives him this superhero mask made out of paint. Well, we also don't know until later that he's very aware of what happened, what probably happened to Edelstein, and for a specific reason. <laughs> because he, <laughs> he sold him out, essentially, didn't he? Was, didn't he, or didn't he, or, I mean. yes. Yes. Yeah. So he talked about this good man, uh, and we'll get to that, but he, he mentions to Joel the story about a good man that he gave up for medicine for right uh, for Sam. Yeah. So they're about to leave the building when they hear shooting, and now we're back up to the present. It's the shootout with Joel and the rebels, or rebels, is it, insurrectionists, or whoever we're going to call them, from the last episode. And that prompts Henry to come up with a new plan, and that involves recruiting Joel and Ellie at some point. <laughs> So they're in an abandoned building um, where Joel and Ellie are. They come up to that in that broken glass and they sneak up on Joel and Ellie. And at this point, we're back to the end of the last episode. After that moment, we see Henry holding a gun, but he doesn't know what to do as he's holding this gun to Ellie's head. He doesn't trust Joel. <laughs> and I love Ellie's, this whole set of dialogue with Ellie and Joel. So Joel is, uh, Joel is leaning back. And it's the way that Joel delivers the line that makes Henry not trust him. So you don't hurt us, right? That's right. That's a weird fucking tone, man. That's just the way he sounds. He has an asshole voice. Joel, tell him he's okay. Everything is great. Dude. It's it's phenomenal. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. It's and, and then he does it again right after that, once they're like together. Mm -hmm. And they have a meal and they kind of calm down. And Ellie is like trying to learn to tell her name to Sam. And she's like, I'm Ellie. And Henry signs the name so that he understands it. And then everybody yeah. looks at Joel and he's just standing there. He's just sitting there like stoic. And Ellie's like, come on. And like kind of hits him on the on the knees. And he's like, I'm Joel. Look, you ate. We didn't kill each other. Let's call this a win win and move on. And it's just like, this guy is like, he just has no manners. He does not understand how to like react and integrate with other people. Well, Henry has a plan. He says, we're going to wait till the sun comes up and I'll show you something pretty amazing. And so the next day he shows Joel killer city as, I don't know if he calls it that or Joel does, but it's what it's the nickname for Kansas city. It's Casey Fedra. And it was that way until about 10 days ago. I think Sam refers to, uh, Henry refers to it as full of savages and monsters, but the people rebelled. Henry reminded Joel that he's not one of those people. He's not one of those people. He's a collaborator, which is apparently even better in Joel's eyes. No, it's not. What I thought was interesting is that apparently collaborators are famous all over the post-apocalyptic world. Like These are not just central to Kansas City, that they're apparently collaborators in Boston, 
potentially in Pittsburgh and other places that we haven't visited or won't visit. But Joel is very much aware of collaborators because he calls he calls Henry the same thing that Kathleen calls the prisoners a rat. Like, I'm not trusting a rat. I'm not going to believe anything you say. It takes a little bit of coercion. Henry asks Joel to help them escape. He says, I show the way you clear the way. So he's clearly seen that Joel knows his way around a gun. And it's at this point that Sam and Ellie, the camera points to them. They're having a good time. Oh, I think it's maybe the dad joke book that it, they're looking at. I don't know, but I, I, I did note this moment as being a beautiful two seconds. <laughs> like there is a very rare moment to smile as a viewer in this episode. And this is one of the probably two is Ellie and Sam just genuinely like a cut to them over in the corner laughing in the boardroom, by the way, they're in a boardroom in a tall building, which is a very specific location to where these two groups meet up as they're trying to escape Pittsburgh in the video game. They don't go through that escape in this TV show, but I thought that was a cool nod to there's, I very much remember this boardroom and cause I went yeah. around every single thing looking for, you know, things to Collectibles. pick up and yeah, yeah. exactly. Joel's reluctant for obvious reasons. Sam says, what are we doing in sign language? And he's like, Joel's agreed to help us and kind of throws him under the bus there. And apparently he's, you know, he can't say no to a, a deaf kid. I mean, who can, right? So Henry's plan involves using the tunnels below the city. As you and I know, that's a no-go for me. That's that's Bro, a no for wait, me, dog. Why? Okay? I just, I'm like Joel in this moment. I'm like, are you, he's like, they're not there anymore. And Joel's like, really? You, you Like, where did you think that they went? And Henry's like, but no, you know, you can handle a few of them. I, I was thinking the whole time, like, are you nuts? But again, this goes back to my point earlier. Your options, starve, captured, killed, or, you know, got, run with the infected. Like, you don't have any. And, and I love that Henry acknowledges that in the end. I think I forget what he said, but Joel asks him about his plan. And he has a great comeback for it. And he's like, no, it's got all sorts of problems, but it's all I got. It's, yeah. it's our only opportunity, yeah. only our chance, no matter how low the odds are. So that puts them down at the bottom of the bank building in the wide open space. I love that Joel says we got to get somewhere and take cover because we are just completely exposed here. So they find the, I guess, the door to the basement or to the sewers or the tunnels or whatever. <laughs> There's this great moment with Henry. <laughs> they get down. Three seconds pass, and Henry's like, see, told you, no infected. And Joel's like, dude, it's been like a minute. <laughs> we're going to keep, we're going to play it safe the whole way through. And so they're walking, and then they run into this area. This is new. This, I don't remember this in the game, per se. I don't think it happened. But they run into an area with some artwork on the wall. So this is another kind of reminder of, oh, yeah, people actually lived post-apocalyptic who were not infected or were crazy psychos like Fedra or insurrectionists. Sam's excited. Joel's apprehensive. They don't want to go through that door. I would be apprehensive as well because who knows what's behind it. But they open it and they find this like settlement of some kind by folks who apparently went underground after outbreak day and basically lived their lives in this community. And I, I love the set here. The set is so cool because it's got so many different pockets of like, it looks like a daycare center. It looks like an apartment. It looks like a playground. It looks like all these things sort of combined into one. And who's excited about this? Well, both Sam and Ellie. And it just reminds us of the innocence of these two characters. And it's such a cool moment because it invites those two kind of great conversations, one with 
Ellie and Sam, and then one with uh, with Joel and Henry, which I thought was fantastic. I love this scene. I love that they kept this in the show because it's one of my favorite moments in the video games as well. The playing of soccer is just awesome. They do this in the game, then they get yelled at in the game. I don't think they get yelled at quite as harshly here, uh, but they get told to like chill out. It does happen, I think, in the show, though. That I remember Joel saying, like, you gotta, gotta be quiet. But then this is where they also find that Savage Starlight comic, which is an ongoing thing that you collect. And if you really dig into this as an Easter egg, you, you, Ellie specifically calls out which issues that she has. And Sam tells her which issues he doesn't, he has. And this is also this comic where that phrase, endure and survive, comes from. Um, and I love that they're able to bond over this. It's just such a, beautiful moment you gotta gotta take them where you can get them even if they're absolutely fleeting you know what i mean and Mm -hmm. i loved that this is again like you said this is sort of where i think joel starts to really respect henry because henry is explaining what he did and and i was wrong earlier he doesn't give up edelstein the guy he gives up is in the past and it was kathleen's brother gotcha yeah that's right that's right and he's saying so he gave up kathleen's brother who was the leader of the resistance at the time, so that Fedra would give him leukemia treatment to keep Sam alive. And I love what Henry says. He's clearly still like holding on to guilt over this. And he says, I am the bad guy because I did a bad guy thing. But you get it though. You might not be her father, but you were someone's. See, I could tell. This is the beauty of this show is these are ethical, moral dilemmas that every single one of us would likely find ourselves in in some way in a dog eat dog world. What are you going to do to protect yourself? What are you going to do to protect those you love? Who else are you willing to sacrifice at what cost? And, And how do you navigate living with that while also prioritizing your own safety? And Joel gets it. This is where Joel, I think, really starts to say, "Okay, I relate to you now of course but not enough to have a therapy session because he's like we gotta go he does and then they just leave and patrick this was there's no infected still like i'm like can we can we please see a foot like are they even maybe henry's right i mean he was right they weren't down there like where are they they don't even exist this is really not the last of us they like took all the zombies or infected completely out of it it's just a drama The few of us is what it is referring to the infected. But this is like a super cool and very, very tense, scary fight through the sewers. And oh, yeah, my my last playthrough, the last of my playthrough. No, that's not the great time. Never mind. Uh, It was I remember amping up the play difficulty a little bit because I was familiar with everything. And man, it almost felt just nonstop. In fact, it were just coming at me, you know, around the corners and stuff. I was like, seriously? Can I, can I get, can I get Ellie or Sam? I forget who I'm with to just help me out here. Cause this is, <laughs> this is frustrating, but yeah, it's, it, it is very tense. The, the tunnel scenes are, are very uh, tense in the game, but yeah, they leave. Uh, there's nothing to scare them apparently. And I'll just say this. There's, there was nothing ever in the tunnels because they end up getting out later into the uh, past where they were supposed to be. Before that though, we kick over to an abandoned home where Kathleen is actually hanging out in her old house. So I didn't really think about this. And maybe I'm wrong, but I I feel like this is her old room and her old house. But it never dawned on me that people who live in the city, 
that infected live, they probably don't move. If they don't move, then yeah, after 20 years, their house is probably still going to be there in some way, shape, or form. And so it was kind of an interesting set piece, something because we don't have Kathleen in the game, therefore we don't have a scene like this. But I thought it was really well done. I thought it was a great sort of crux to get her and Perry talking a little bit. The music is really interesting because it feels very kind of sentimental as she's talking about the loss of her brother because we just gotten word about about him and so we find out what her motivation is. But at one point there is this really interesting turn. So as she's talking about him, the music cues change and she goes, "He told me to forgive." And what did he get for that? Where is the justice in that? What is the point of that? And we're sort of led to believe, because she alludes to this, that Perry is coming in to kind of tell her, listen, it's not worth it. This isn't cool. We don't need to do this. And he's like, nope, we're with you, Kathleen. Let's go take him down. And it just kind of reminds me that the infected is not just those who are infected with this fungus. It's those who are infected with revenge or infected with a mentality that you have to do this thing in order to not only survive, but potentially thrive. And it's sick. I mean, it's a very telling moment that she has potentially infected those around her. Because if her brother was in charge and she takes over, she had an opportunity. The do- I think it was the doctor at this point, or no, her brother, who said, you got to forgive, you got to forgive. Yeah, she says that. And that's the moment that she could have said, okay, and this could have all been different. And unfortunately, it wasn't. Somebody has to be the bigger man or woman or whatever. Like, that's what it boils down to, Patrick. Not not to get all biblical on you, but somebody has to turn the other cheek. Like, life, in life, somebody has to do that. In our everyday interactions with people at work and friends and family, doesn't have to be in the middle of the apocalypse. But that's exactly what it all comes down to, is somebody somewhere has to break the cycle of revenge and violence. And one thing that this show repeatedly shows us over and over and over is that vengeance does not pay off. They don't win. They may win a battle, but it doesn't ever seem like vengeance wins the war. Um, It always kind of comes calling in the end. They get their due. And that happens here, too. And it's sad. It's sad that people would turn that way because at some point, like, yes, you lost someone. And especially with it being her brother, this was the opportunity. This is like a martyr, him being willing to understand that he himself was willing to give himself up, essentially. I mean, he didn't make the choice, but he understood the ramifications of saying, there's a greater good here. Let's end this. And all she does is continue it and make it worse. And it's so sad. It makes me constantly wonder where I would end up if I was in this situation, who would I be? And I don't know that I like it, who I would, I don't know. I don't really know. The duplicitousness of her relationship with her brother and Henry's relationship with Sam. I mean, there are meant to be some parallels here, which I think amplifies what we get from the video game. It makes a lot more relevant. I think this was probably my favorite change from the game because it gave Henry and Sam a lot more agency in this series. It made them feel like their short-lived moments mattered. I think this is a great use of alternating your characters and adding a new character in Kathleen because she creates a great foil of all the stuff that's happening. 
but it doesn't take away from who we know Henry and Sam to be. Like Nothing about them changes fundamentally from the game, but what we know about them is enhanced by what is added to the series as a variant of the game. All right, so we're back. It's night. They've come out of the tunnels. Henry's given himself a little self-high five. They've made it. He's proud that he's led them out, and they think they're free, but but they're not. I think this is one of, if I had to remember, like, top five moments from the game, this is one of the, I think this is number five for me. This long shot of a house with a sniper that has incredible aim <laughs> that can just pound you. The first time I went through the game, Aaron, I probably died at least 20 times before I realized, oh, you can go on the side or you can, you know, do these other things. And the fact that it's at night doesn't really bother me. I think it's great. I love the fact that this, this whole scene still exists because it, it very much is an iconic portion of the game. And it's a hard part to get to because you cannot get the sniper in the game without going to the house and going upstairs and actually taking him down. Like there's no way you don't have a gun that can reach that far depending on what level difficulty you have, there are, there are already like federal agents that are attacking you left and right, straight, wherever. And it becomes next to impossible unless you know what you're doing. You have to be very strategic with your weaponry. A lot of Molotov cocktails and smoke bombs and stuff to distract and all that kind of stuff. You just can't run headlong into there. This gets a tie of one of two scenes for where I would die at this point in the show. <laughs> I would... Whether I was being strategic or not, I would just get mowed down by the sniper every time. <laughs> no possible way. Yeah, absolutely. any yeah. normal person. <laughs> <laughs> but what surprised me is the guy is an old man. Like, that was a change, which creates another little quiet moment with it Joel does. after he's talking to, jo- to Ellie and saying, hey, do you trust me? I'm going up here. I'm going to do this. He says to the old man, put the gun down, slide it over to me, stay up here for another hour. Don't do this. And the guy makes a quick move for his gun, and then all we hear is a pop, and he's dead. Oh, Joel, I wasn't going to say that you made the wrong choice. You absolutely made the right choice for the protection of you and your people. But man, how, how does that, Yeah, I, I want to ask him in that moment, how does that make you feel? Like, how are you handling that? This is an old man, but it's an old man with a gun who's trying to mow you down. So there's that. Well, it's the way he says it. It's, it's in the performance and the character. Like he says, please don't do it please like he he begs him he it's a it's one of the softest spoken words we've seen from joel like he 100 percent does not want to do this he only does it out of self-defense pure self-defense and i love it it's a very special scene like memorable wise as well just like you said just playing through this it's challenging to get up there and you finally get up there and then you have to fight that guy <laughs> uh you have to sneak your way through other guards to get up there and kill that guy and then you get to be the sniper and love it. We got to be the sniper in the show as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that in terms of combat, because, you know, you can't show a lot of combat because it's boring and you don't want to watch a whole episode of COD or things like that. But in the same way, this is one of the first instances that I remember the combat being done well for television because he's mowing these people down. He takes the shot at the armored car like we do in the game and knocks the driver out to plow him into the into the house and sets that on fire. He's got cover for Ellie. And then after all that takes place, Kathleen and Henry, like she comes in and she's got her all of her people. She sees Henry behind a truck. They're having a bit of a dialogue about the cost of one life at the risk of many. This is a really nice scene because it 
it really amplifies that duplicitousness. It's like, who is in the right here? Who's wrong? Who's, and we don't know. It's that ambiguity because we're on the side of whoever we feel the closest to at this moment. <laughs> if we've lost a brother un, you know, unjustly, then we're probably on the side of Kathleen. If we're trying to protect our younger brother, we're on the side of Henry. No, no one is on the side of Kathleen. No one is on the side of Kathleen. Kathleen goes off the rails here. Kathleen, this is where no one ever can be on the side of Kathleen. Kathleen says one of the coldest lines of dialogue or strings of dialogue this entire series when she finally gets them cornered under behind that car and she's trying to get Henry to come out. She's well, kids die, Henry. They die all the time. You think the whole world revolves around him? That he's worth everything well this is what happens when you fuck with fate and i mean there's no more sympathy or empathy for kathleen for me at this point yeah and and i think this is also the reason i feel like i was sad to see perry go we didn't really get to know perry very much but the, like for the easter egg fact that most of us know him as being tommy in the games as we talked about but like you can tell at various times throughout these two episodes that Perry as her right hand man and protector. I wish I almost wish we knew more about their relationship because he's very staunchly protecting her, but he, he also pretty clearly doesn't necessarily agree with her methods or how yeah. he 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 feels like he knows that she's gone too far. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and, and and I just I find that interest an interesting relationship. One of the few things I would have actually liked to see more about. So that's a good point. And I think if we had to speculate, I would imagine that he and her brother were really, really good friends. Like they were best friends. That's mm. and that and that he felt an obligation that after his best friend died, he carried the mantle of his brother's or his best friend's death through his uh, his sister. And at this point, there's that crisis of faith that he's having. I'm glad that we didn't get Perry changing his mind. I like the fact that he struggled. We don't really have time for any of that. Like all this stuff happens within probably like three minutes of incredible action. But you're right. The facial expression on his, uh, that he gives is one of like, "Mm, man, I don't know where I'm at in this. And I I know what's right. And I know that you're wrong, Kathleen. (laughs) I loved your brother too, but (laughs) this is not okay. Kids are actually better than you think they are. So you're absolutely right, Aaron. Before she has a chance to shoot Henry, one of the coolest shots of the episode happens. Deus ex bloater. Yes, but there's a there's an opening act. And yes, I absolutely love seeing the bloater. What I love, though, was seeing the real people, the the background artists in the form of infected roll just jumping out of this pit and jumping over each other and yeah talking and just uh, just attack and i remember uh in each one of these episodes if you're watching it on max there's a little cut at the end that kind of does a little back backstory a little behind the scenes stuff and i think a lot of the stuff is talked about in the podcast as well but mazen and Druckmann talk about how they wanted artists they wanted like stunt people to do this to create that sense of mass chaos. If you tried to CGI that, it would look really stupid. It would look unbelievable. And the idea is that when you're infected, the question about, are you still human when you're infected? So it's a great question that gets asked later in the episode, but you see all these people running out. Some of them are clickers. Some of them are just uh, infected or stalkers or other variations of the infected. But I love the fact that they are all real, that few, if any, 
are CG and you see them like jumping over each other and the girl in the truck doing that little like forward cartwheel, like a, oh my gosh, something out of a horror movie. It just creates a lot more tension than having that done through a computer because it's, it's human. It's a very human thing to do this stuff. And it precedes what we were looking forward to last episode and what we actually got this big giant bloater. This is the second time I would die. The bloaters got me. And he would do what he does to Perry. Takes the dude's head, headlock, pull it off like Mortal Kombat. Done. Perry's life, gone in an instant. It's awesome. It's a great scene. It's interesting to me. This time around, I thought about the fact that I I joked, you know, deus ex bloater. Because this is definitely a deus ex machina moment where perfect timing Someone's got a gun to somebody's head and they're about to pull a trigger, but something interrupts them. And if it had happened a second earlier or a second later, then, you know, our story is vastly different. But what what I hadn't realized is the reason that this happens is because of earlier in the episode, Joel snipes the driver of the truck. The truck runs off the road into the house and causes an explosion mm-hmm. The explosion is what ends up causing the ground to break free enough to erupt and draw all of them there to the point where they can burst out in that location. So kind of a cool chain of events (laughs) just to kind of like track it backwards. Uh, But yeah, it it looks incredible. And even though the whole sequence isn't full of bloaters in the way that we were used to when we were doing it, it, you again get Joel sniping and trying to protect Ellie from these clickers that were chasing her down and it's fantastic that that is one of the most terrifying parts of the game because you're not close to her as a character you can feel and i thought the show did a great job is my point of like relaying this feeling you as joel or joel is not in the position to put himself between danger and ellie he can't take the hit for her all he can do is shoot from afar and it's hard. And you're like, in the game, you're like, you're watching her health bar drop, drop, drop. And it's, it's really, really, really stressful. Yeah. Uh, because yeah. we're not good at it. Like you would, like we're not shooter <laughs> guys. Like we're yeah. not good at that part, that task, you know, as well. Like Joel yeah. in the show, it's easy. Joel's just like, yeah, bah, bah, bah. I mean, you know, I'm freaking Hawkeye with a sniper rifle over here. But uh, I love the implementation <laughs> of that scene. And it's, it was really well done. And, and really, I, I, they did a great job of finally giving us the infected. If it had been pretty much anything less than something that bombastic, I might've felt left down having not seen him for so long. Yeah. Agreed. And what I found really interesting by the end of the scene is Kathleen is not taken down by the bloater. She's actually taken down by a clicker. If my memory serves me correctly, I believe it's the child clicker that was in the truck with Ellie. But if it was a child clicker, I think that would have been poetic justice for Kathleen to be killed by oh, a kid. I'm going to believe it is, even if it wasn't now. I it's such it a, it'd be such yeah. a great moment, right? <laughs> yeah. So she's killed, and the wide shot just says one thing. It says, goodbye, Kansas City resistance. Like, nobody is surviving in Kansas City. You can just burn that city to the ground because nobody's going to be living in there after the infected. Like, all those, including the bloater, take off. They're like, it's time for dinner, and Kansas City barbecues on the menu. This is what's going to happen. Whew. I was excited about that. <laughs> and then we're, <laughs> we're now in the hotel. Joel and Henry are doing a bit of post-attack 
debrief, you know, about what happened. Joel's armor kind of chinks a little bit more. This is where he invites Henry and Sam to come to Wyoming. He said, look, you know, we're going to be walking most of the way probably, but, you know, I think you guys, you know, you're more than welcome to come along. And Henry's like, yeah, absolutely. I'll tell Sam in the morning. And then we're over in the other room where Ellie is reading the comic to Sam and he stops her and he asks her if she's scared. It's a legit question because if I'm deaf and I've just met this girl, nothing that she has shown me tells me that she's scared. Like she's laughing and she's sarcastic and she's got joke books and stuff like that. She said she's scared all the time, but specifically about ending up alone. And this is, this is nice. So we get a little bit more of Ellie and it sort of makes us lean more into her relationship with Joel if we haven't already that, wow, it's just as important now that Joel's a part of her world <laughs> as any other time. She asks him the same question, to which he replies, if you turn into a monster, is it still you inside? I loved this line. I don't know if he says this in the game, but it's such a great line because it's a question that we're asking. You know, if we got infected, is it still us? And would people still see us as an infected person? Would you have the, would you have the intelligence? Would you have that awareness of like, look, I still have love in my heart, but yeah, he, he asked her that question. And this is where he shows her that he has an infected arm. So she's like, got you, I got you fam. So she opens up her arm, shows that she's immune. And I don't know if she believes this at all. I think she does. But she cuts herself and she says, my blood is medicine. And she puts her blood on his arm. And he asks her to stay awake with him. She promises. And he teaches her the sign for promise, which I thought was kind of cool. And that kind of finishes up that scene. You know, just like the scene with Sarah, we knew what was coming. And so I'll ask you again the question, you know, where were you at emotionally with this, knowing what was probably going to happen? Way better and worse, harder in this version, in my opinion. Like phenomenal, 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 phenomenal end to this. I mean, I don't love it, obviously. Like I'm not happy about it, but the depiction of it in the game, Sam does not tell Ellie that he is bitten, and she doesn't do any of this. But here we have seen her having these moments with Sam. She's clearly connected with him, just as we see. Joel finally seemingly start to connect with Henry. They're making plans on what they're going to do together. They're going to carry on. And it, it's just, it makes it all the more tragic. When she makes this attempt with her blood, Patrick, it is just so flipping heart-wrenching to me because she's been told by all these people, like, all of this is for her. Her blood is the secret. Like, she is immune. She is the She's the key. She can solve the whole thing. And she's like, I just want to save this one guy just want to save this one kid the fact that she would like do that and try and it's oh i mean it's everything like it's beautiful and tragic and horrible all at once and i loved it because she she loses her first friend in forever um that she's had Um, it's just a perfect way of illustrating all these things that build up that we're watching that create ellie as a person in the same way that we've watched the things that build up to create Joel and who he is today. Um, And then, you know, Henry having to shoot him and not really even, I don't think realizing what it is. Like he, he just sees infected attack and he's like rushing in to stop it because he, he doesn't really notice. And then he's like, Oh my gosh, what have I done? 
and there's no conversation. Like he just takes himself out instantaneously because Joel's like, no, don't do it. It's amazing the way that they show it to us. Like I said, Joel, both of them are losing someone. They have both kind of broken their own rules in a sense and let themselves care about someone. And now they're gone. So I want to take another angle with that, that you mentioned, because the persona of Joel is a very harsh, stoic, I'm not letting anybody in. And up to this point, little bits of himself have opened up to Ellie to a point where he has opened himself up to let Henry and Sam come with them to Wyoming. Ellie, while not necessarily labeled as compassionate, is innocent. She's fun. She's more open to the adventures of the world, the way that she is in awe of Boston, the the city and everything, you know, making it look like a, a messed up moon and all that stuff. In the moment where she sacrifices some of her blood, where she gives a little bit of herself to Sam to try to save him, is very, I would think, consistent with her character. When we get to the next day and all that stuff happens that you described, we get to the end of the episode. We're outside. Joel is burying Henry, a guy he met a day before. He's burying Henry and Sam. Ellie is getting his stuff. The way that she looks is very much like business as usual. She like just kind of drops it down there. We could attest that she's mad, she's grieving, but she's it's like, here you go. She puts Sam's notepad that, uh, I forget what it's called, uh, the little thing you, whatever, but it's a little notepad. It looks kind of like an Etch-A-Sketch. It's, it's not Etch-A-Sketch. That has the knob. I know, the, but it's like, yeah, it's like but, the version of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. It's yeah. not Etch-A-Sketch because it's not magnetized. I it's like it's a cool it's, it's a like cool that toy that plastic I mean, cool thing, yeah. cover that you draw on but you can erase. Yeah. Yeah. Same yeah. concept. So it, it, we'll call it a notepad for the sake of keeping the conversation rolling. Um but she puts the notepad on his plot, gets up, and she says, "Which way's west?" That's how she says it. Just "Which way's west?" And you look at the notepad, it says, "I'm sorry." And this scene is the polar opposite of when Tess dies. Joel says his goodbye to Tess. He leaves and he's gone. Like he is already walking as the the building is about to start blowing up. Ellie looks back because she's like, what, 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 this is terrible kind of. And then she walks away and it explodes. The exact opposite here happens. And what we see is the danger of when you lose a life, the hardness of your heart that happens. Kathleen had it when she lost her brother. And now we see a hint of the fact that, oh my gosh, like you mentioned, she's just lost a second person. I'm not going to love anybody anymore. I'm not going to put myself out there to care. And we start seeing that. We start seeing, oh my gosh, no, Ellie, don't. I mean, you have a lot of value, not just your your immunity, but you're the one that keeps Joel stable. And and I think at this point, being you know fitting that it's the middle of the season, there's a question. She has the opportunity to maintain her innocence, maintain that sense of hope, or she could become cold like Joel. You know, she could become like, you know what? You're right, Joel. People, people die. And what's the hope? What's the point of loving somebody when you know they're for better, or for worse, they're going to go, they're going to be dead. They're going to become infected. It's not their fault. You know, it happened with Tess. Now it's happened with Sam. She doesn't say that, but I think her body language elicits that kind of idea that she could start going down the path of being cold and calculated and without any kind of heart or compassion, which Joel needs. And it just creates this kind of danger that we start sensing of like, what's their relationship going to be like now? Man, very well said. I, I mean, I agree. It's desensitization. And, you know, ultimately you you go through it enough times, you just stop registering it in the same way. There's, you build up those walls, your heart hardens, 
whatever you want to say about it, it just leads to not trusting and intentionally trying not to let yourself care because you know it's just going to fall apart, which is the story of Joel and Ellie. And the question is always going to be, as we go on this journey, do they come out on the other side? Like, is there ever a possibility in a world where these two people could live, I guess, happily? I'm trying to think of the right word. It's almost like, yeah, not even happily ever after, but just safely and contently together. Yeah. That's what we're rooting for and we're hoping yeah. is going to happen. Um, and, and every tragedy along the way makes us want it more and also feel like it's further out of reach, I think. Yeah, yeah, well spoken. All right, well, that is going to do it for this edition of an original series. Next week, we are bringing you episode six entitled Ken, as in next of Ken, not as in Barbie and Ken, different kind of Ken. So you'll want to tune in for that. Obviously, it'll involve some kind of family. At least we assume it is based off that title. So in the meantime, thank you for listening. I'm Patch. He's Aaron. And we are out of here.